Welcome to the Coaching in Clubland podcast. My name is Mitch Johnston and I'll be your host. Coaching in Clubland is an Aussie podcast designed for current and aspiring coaches from all levels and across a range of sports to share their experiences about the caper. We discuss the roller coaster that is the coaching experience, the highs, the lows, the joys and the pitfalls. I caught the coaching bug as a teenager and have been fortunate enough to hold various coaching roles within cricket and footy clubs over the last 15 years. Through these experiences and my interactions as a player, I've come across many great and some not so great coaches in Clubland. We'll aim to keep things simple, practical and relatable so that you can apply these insights to your own coaching experiences. Sit back, grab a cuppa and please enjoy the episode. In this episode of Coaching in Clubland, we speak to Russell Barnes. Having played 255 games and having won four premierships, including three of them as captain during Ormond's golden era during the late 80s, Barney had a career that is almost unparalleled in the Victorian Amateur Football Association. He was renowned for his leadership, courage, hardness and ability to play through pain and inspire his teammates. And many regard him as fierce as any competitor ever seen in Amo's ranks. His coaching career has been equally as significant, having coached a raft of clubs in the Amo since 1994. Home is where the heart is, however, and Barney is back at his beloved Ormond, where he's the director of coaching and the reserves coach. In our chat with Russell, we talk about the correlation between being a captain and a coach, being part of the coaching merry-go-round, and the power of footy and community during times of tragedy. Just remember that if you're driving and you get in a bingle, praying, or a scrape, make sure you contact Anthony at S&J Smash Repairs for all of your insurance and private work needs. Call him on 9357-9944 or visit www.sjsmash.com.au. Welcome to the Coaching in Clubland podcast, Russell Barnes. Thanks, Mitch. Nice to be here. Barney, I've caught up with you at many functions at Steve Aaron's house and Club Saren's there, the place to be in East Bentley. And you're a very humble man, mate, because when I did some research on you and your playing career, you've had a decorated playing career in the Amos, and also your coaching career is equally as significant. You're a four-time premiership player with Ormond, including three as captain. You're renowned for your leadership skills and ability to inspire your teammates. How have some of these traits from your playing career led to you being an effective coach later in life? That's a good question, mate, because captain aside in footy is a lot different to coaching aside. In footy, you're out there with them and, you, well, one, you can inspire them with your deeds. I mean, you can't plan to do that. It just happens. But you can also talk to them and you know, direct them where to go to the young bloke, and the young blokes listen from a coaching point of view, you're really in the hands of how how well you can coach, in this case, 22 players and giving them the right directions and making sure they follow the directions and have the belief that they are the right directions. So whether there's a bit of a conduit there, I'm not 100% sure, but uh, I think playing's the easy part. Coaching and being responsible for the performance of 22 blokes is, is a bit harder than being responsible for one bloke as in yourself and just relying on inspiration. And we found some AFL champions the last 15, 20 years, Nathan Buckley, Michael Voss, James Hurd, all captains of their club, inspirational on-field performers. But when it comes to coaching, perhaps had their troubles initially and didn't quite make that transition as smoothly. So it sort of connects with what you were saying before around being a good on-field leader doesn't necessarily translate into being a, an effective coach. I think using Nathan Buckley as a as an example, as you did, I He's coached at the top level for 10 years and he's coached the side to a grand final and numerous finals appearances. I'm certainly not a Collingwood supporter. I'm not really an AFL supporter, to be honest. But to say he hasn't been successful would be uh, pretty harsh on the bloke because we can't all... Premierships are hard to win. If they're easy and given away, you'd be... You know, you'd, you'd have many Hardwick slash Clarkson 
type of coaches who coached it four or three times at the highest level. And I don't go along with the one kick away from winning the premiership. I know he was, but West Coast won it that year. So Colin would have come runners up. Look, I would think Buckley's been reasonably successful as a coach. He's right when he, what he said last week, and there's a t- there comes a time when your time's up. Uh, and I've found from a personal experience that four years would probably probably see me at. That's a, five years is the longest stint I've had, and that was at St. Bede's, and that was a, a pleasure to coach them. And uh, we had some success, but in the fifth year, whether my voice to the players had lost its, lost its appeal, and as a coach, you would understand that that can happen. We also lost a few players and through injury or just going to other clubs and you know, we ended up getting relegated from B grade, whereas prior to that, we'd been progressing positively every year in the first four years and to the extent where we made a B grade finals appearance in uh, our second year in B grade ever and lost that by less than a kick and you, know, you would have thought it would have been all, all hands to the wheel to have success the next year, but that wasn't to be. And then when I left and Luke Beveridge took over, uh, they've gone CBA, which has never been done before in amateur football and you know, terrific performance by the club and obviously great leadership by Luke as the, as the coach. A lot of it is just being in the right place at the right time and uh, some of it's also luck, mate. And you touched on sort of the lifespan and, and tenure of a coach at a, at a club being perhaps that four to five year range and you've been coach of you know half a dozen clubs in the Amos previously. Is it a bit of a an emotional roller coaster to move from club to club, or is it something that you're glad to experience and, and shape so many different footy programs at different clubs? In hindsight, when I was first coaching, I would only wanted I would have only ever wanted to coach Ormond, right? But that can't be the case of only coaching at one club. I I had my first year was a one a one year stint at a club, and I thought I went all right. We avoided relegation. We won eight games and and sort of consolidated for the next season. But they wanted someone else. And that's the bottom line. If, they're, if the powers that be want someone else, they put them in place and then and you're sort of left to go and find something else to happen. But uh, I've found it reasonably easy to blend in at other clubs because I've been around for a long time. I'm reasonably well-known in amateur football and and people people like what I have to offer or used to like what I have to offer, not so much now. But, um, you know, and if you're a good person, you can get involved at other clubs. Compared to a lot of my friends, like Steve, for example, He's umpired 400 games or more in the reserves at Ormond, and he's happy with that. I want to coach, and to coach continuously, you have to go to other places. So I'm, I was prepared, and I still am prepared to do that, and it opens up your networks. It opens up your, your opportunities for jobs, perhaps, down the line. But you meet new people, and the people that, that I've met over, over the course of amateur football have been nothing but terrific people to have the opportunity to meet all these different people and different personalities and and you know and ha- and as as you say have the opportunity to try and add something to a club in your in your journey while you're there be it for two three four whatever years it's a good opportunity to have and I got asked the other day the question the other day would you rather be a senior coach or a reserves coach having experienced both at the moment and uh I said, reserve, I said, I'd rather be a senior coach because you can actually put your own mark on it. That's my answer to that question. That doesn't mean that I'm looking to coach a senior side again or anything like that. I'm just, that, that would be my opinion. And I'm happy and I know my role right now at Ormond is as a reserves coach slash director of coaching. And you know, I, I'm just trying to make Ormond as good as, as good a club as we can be on the field and off the field. 
In terms of coaching, who are some of the better coaches that you played under and do you have any mentors or go-to people that shape your own coaching philosophy? Oh, look, there's no doubt the, the better coach that I played under was a, a fellow called Mike MacArthur Allen. He coached the he coached Dorman from 1983 through to 1990 initially, and we won five A-grade flags in the course of six years, played in six A-grade grand finals in seven years, and had finals appearance in the off year, but we weren't good enough on that on that particular day. Mike is also my mentor, and he's also I'm happy to call him a, a very close friend of mine. His reserves coach at the time, Jeff Riley, is also is also someone who I chew his ear off sometimes when we when we catch up, and I'm still ca- I, I do catch up with both of them regularly. Every coach, even though we are trying to smash each other and you know and they're, they're arch enemies between two and five on a Saturday, they're also your teammates. I'm I'm still trying to learn, even at the age of sixty, and having done it for having coached for twenty odd years. I'm still trying to learn things and trying to learn the modern vernacular, for example, now. So as I'm not talking ancient, archaic caveman stuff when I'm talking to a playing group, which is now a, a group of guys who are young and want to come up and play senior footy. And I'm trying to teach them to be senior players. I've got my expectations of what the senior, what I, I think a senior player should be. And so long as that ties in with what the current senior coach at Ormond is, uh, is in agreement with, well, then we're on the right track. And you've coached Amo's representative sides in the past, which is always a challenge, I reckon, coaching representative teams that come together for a short period of time. What were some of the, the things that you had to overcome to galvanise those groups and particularly when considering the minimal you know, preparation time you've got with them? I had the honour of coaching the big VC, uh, B, to, B to D4 side, which played against WA. You know, that was in 2018. The biggest problem with my experience with states, state footy is the biggest hurdle you have to get over is to make people mates. And they've got to be the best mates they could possibly be over the course of a four-week program. Now, more important to me than training, we did train, obviously, but more important to me was spending time with the players who you're going to be playing with them and creating that gel or building on that camaraderie that they have and uh, and trying to make them as good a mates as they possibly can be. Because in a four-week program, you can't really teach them much in terms of strategies and and whatnot and they you know they've always also got their club stuff that they've got to do as well so if if they're if they're mates and they want to play for each other to me that's the biggest secret at rep level because at victorian level like you know they can play so you try and make a mates and the boats gelled on that particular day the boats gelled and it was the first time that we'd beaten wa or first time the c to the b to d4 side had won for a, quite a number of years it's also the first time I played for a quarter number of years too. But anyway, we won't say we won't go into that. But then the, the greatest part of that was after the game, we caught up at the college lawn in Paran and had some drinks and spent time together. And that was fantastic. And you see, going back to club coaching now, I see I see some of the guys who I coached in that particular team and we we catch up and we're talking and you know, it, it's great. And it just again, it's a network thing. Your your network's bigger and bigger and bigger and you know, meeting people and I get bagged quite regularly by my son, Michael, my eldest bloke, and uh, about, oh, you can't go anywhere there, you're bumping into someone you know. Well, good, isn't it? And if it's, you know them and they don't have to be your closest mate, you know, you can, you're there and you talk, you've gone on a particular function and you're talking to someone who you don't see all the time, who's a good person. You know what I'm talking about there, Mitch, because oh, yeah. I'm sure you've done that too. And you go to the cricket on Boxing Day, half the crowd is amateur football, the other half's probably district cricket or premier cricket, as they call it now. It's just such a 
it's a great community to be part of. The sport, the sporting community, is such a great community to be part of. It's certainly a small world, isn't it? You you do bump into a lot of people, and I think that's a good thing. Always good to reminisce as well. I make I make a point after every game. I want to try and be the last Ormond or whichever club I happen to be at at the time. I make a point of trying to be the last person to leave. And it's not hard because I'm there talking to the people that I know from that particular club. There's not too many people at clubs. There's not too many clubs that I haven't coached against or played against over the 40-odd years. So, you know, to catch up with people and just see how their club's going and the after game is more important almost than the during the game. Everyone wants to win, but not everyone can win. But everyone can develop relationships with people from other clubs, and it's a great, a great thing. No, it's really relevant right now too, because I mean, footy season got taken away from us last year at local level, and we're obviously on hiatus at the moment with restrictions that we've had. So, you know, as much as we love to get out there and compete and show our wares, we also want to connect with with clubs and people, and it gives us that release from the day to day grind with with work or study, whatever it might be, that you can go out and. Tuesday, Thursday night, have a kick around with your mates and uh, have a crack on a Saturday afternoon too. So I think that's really been emphasised the last year or so that being involved in a club isn't just about getting four points every Saturday. You know, it's about that connection as well. Now, you're big on using video footage and software such as Dartfish with your players. Can you talk about how this has been embraced at Ormond by your playing group and the process for you to put all this together um, in readiness for training? The The players have embraced the use of video footage because let's be honest, not doesn't everyone like to see themselves on telly? If you had the chance to watch your game and see your game and look at your highlights package of the particular game, you you jump at it every week. Well we have we're lucky we have the seniors and reserves filmed and uh, I tag both games and each each player from each team is able to look at their own performance. For example, you just Keen Johnson, and you know, up comes up comes all your all your involvements from the game. And in an ideal world, you'd get the one-on-one stuff done, but uh, it's not always possible. And uh, the players particularly like the one-on-one involvement. I just think it's a great tool, and I've always, I've always since I first started coaching, always done uh, footage and highlights of the player package. And back in the old days of 1994, yeah, it was video to video and it was it took a bloody long time now it just takes now it just takes five hours on a saturday a sunday to edit the reserves game and then another couple of hours on this on the monday to do the senior game yeah it's uh it's an important part i think it's an important part of coaching particularly local coaching and uh i know more and more more and more coaches do it now it's um it's interesting though because in speaking to mick mcguan and adam contessa who've both you know coached at my side of town that, that's a fair time commitment. You're just hoping that on the other end, the players are digesting that and actually seeing the value in it. And some, you know, some really do appreciate the, the visual feedback there. Others are, you know, whether it's more verbal or written feedback or that just that old school one-on-one conversation. But um, I think that's the way that coaching is going and probably an underappreciated duty that coaches have to undergo and putting all that video footage together. I've found that coaching is probably an extra 30, 30 plus hours a week that you've got to devote to it which includes playing and training and and if you want to do the footage stuff that that's the the thing about dartfish is it can be done it can be tagged live and the benefits that players and coaches and clubs can get out of it certainly worth pursuing from the club's point of view i don't i don't want them to just watch the watch the footage and look at all their good stuff and say what a great mark or gee mitch that was a great goal you kicked or i want to look at the i want them to look at areas where they can improve and 
even if it's little things like positioning from a backman's point of view or or whatever. We've uh, at Allman this year, we're fortunate enough to have secured Matt Suckling as a, a player, who's also an assistant coach, to use to use his wisdom and learnings from a 12-year or 14-year uh, AFL career. And Max Bailey is our under-19s coach. Both of them are great people and have, have fit in like like a glove and have been great to to learn off. And I'm forever asking both. They're probably I'm probably a pain in the neck to them, but I'm forever asking both of them questions because I still want to learn. You know, as a, a 27-year coach and a 60-year-old young bloke, I want to learn and embrace the modern vernacular of the game. And Suckling and Bailey coming from a culture like Hawthorne obviously is going to be a, a great resource to tap into as well. So I'm sure they're making a huge impact at, at Allman there. And on a, on a more uh, emotional topic, uh, and we spoke about the power of footy clubs and community and yep. connection previously, but you lost your daughter, Jane, uh, who I had the pleasure of meeting uh, a few times to a rare form of leukemia in 2018. How did the footy community rally around you and your family during this time? The uh, the support we had from obviously family, friends, uh, our East Bentley community and the amateur community was just unbelievable. And during Jane's treatment, which her journey for, with leukemia was for two years, and uh, and in that time we had friends and neighbours providing us with meals for the five of us, just voluntary. And I mean, it was it was just magnificent, and we much appreciated by us. From a, a football sense, it was probably a, an advantage then having been involved in half a dozen clubs through the ranks of amateur football because you know the, the support from those clubs and from other people that I've known in amateur football for 40-odd-plus years, it was an unbelievable... It was a, a shocking time, but, gee, it's, it's tragedy that you've got to go through to experience kindness from the people that, that it was offered and now uh, we've actually got uh jane's passion became uh maddie's vision which is a mad st kilda supporter along with her mother and her two her two brothers and uh amateur football is a, a terrific place we've got jane's match with some boots every year and uh they wear maddie's vision beanies they have uh maddie's vision jumpers they 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 fully commit and the the funds raised Go to uh, Maddie's Vision uh, via Jane's Army. And uh, Jane's Army, I think, prior to 2018 and 2019, had raised $60,000 for Maddie's Vision, which is you know, an enormous benefit for any any charity. The support of uh, of the VAFA and the support of the clubs in the, in the VAFA has been fantastic. And, you know, and, and my family and Jude's family have also been so supportive to us, obviously, because everyone... everyone Everyone loved Jane. You never. Uh, it's just. Uh, it's just one of the cruelest, saddest, unfairest things that's ever happened. And unfortunately, mate, that's life. And uh, you got you got to go on. But there's never a day that we don't think of Jane. And thankfully, through uh, Jane's match, we have a chance to uh, continue her legacy and uh, and continue supporting Maddie's vision. And uh, the bone marrow side of things can get looked at and looked after. Uh, she's left behind a wonderful legacy. And as I said, meeting her a few times, she was an incredible person. So we're all very fortunate to have had her in our lives. And moving back to Ormond, back to, I guess, the coaching side of things, Barney, and you're the, currently the director of coaching at Ormond, uh, a role that's pretty prevalent now at a lot of footy clubs. Can you explain to us the purpose of this role and how the director of coaching supports the coaching panel? 
Well, my understanding of the director of coaching is to just be there to assist the coaching panel. And because I'm part of the coaching panel, as a res- I wasn't initially appointed as reserves coach, but they had no one to be reserves coach. And I said, well, you've got someone. You've got me. Oh, no, we'd rather you be director of coaching. I said, well, look, I, it's a bit of a two-way, a two-way thing for me here. I want to... I still, I'm still passionate enough to want to coach and have ownership of a team and and be responsible for the players and uh, but I also I'm happy to help Reggie out. We've got a new had a new a new senior coach reappointed at the end of 2019. My opinion is that the director of coaching is there to help and assist all the other coaches in the senior section of the club. I'm there to help him with any questions. I'll give him advice if I if I think it's necessary at the start of pre-season. Last year, which ended up being the longest pre-season ever, 12 or 14 months, I was sort of just shadowing Reg, uh, Reggie or Greg. Greg Hoskin is his name and he's a, he's a ripping bloke and a ripping, he's doing a good job coaching as well. He, I, I was just shadowing making sure we're on the same page and if I had any questions as to why he was doing or anything he was talking about in terms of game plan, game plan I would clear that up and then it would be all right. But the director of coaching, I reckon, just needs to be there in the background and... If the coach needs a chop out, he gives the coach a chop out. If the coach needs, or if he sees something that's important that can be addressed by both of them, then he would give the, the advice to the coach and be there to help the boat. As a director of coaching, I'm trying to help not only Reggie, but the reserves coach, the thirds coach, who is a very enthusiastic guy, Greg McLaren. He's having good success. He's got fantastic numbers, which for thirds is out of the box in most cases. Now, how, how, how am I going to help a Max Bailey? I'm, I'm going to help a Max Bailey by just sitting back and trying to learn off him. And he's the under-19s coach. I mean, I'll help him in terms of players' numbers or or any other questions he's got in terms of local running of a, a running of a local side. It's just it's a con, it's mainly a conduit between me and the committee, uh, the coaching panel and the committee. The other thing with Greg Hoskin is new to amateur football. He's been he coached Fish Creek down in the one of the one of the country competitions. He's got no idea about any of the players in the comp. My knowledge is one of my strengths and knowledge is opposition analysis. First half of the season, while he's learning about the other teams and also learning about his playing group, I'm doing the forward scouting for him off the footage. Now, giving him my opinion on who are the players to watch and how we can how we can possibly beat this side or what areas we need to be strong at to be better performed against this side. As you approach the back half of the year, mate, good luck. Hopefully we get back on the park soon. And thanks for jumping on the podcast, Barney. It's been great chatting, mate. And we'll catch up at Club Sarens again in a, in a few months' time, I hope. No worries. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks for listening to this episode of Coaching in Clubland. A shout-out to the talented Aidan Arandes for putting together our podcast theme song. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to hear more, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Feel free to leave a rating and review. To catch the latest updates from the podcast, check us out on Facebook or on Twitter at Coaching Club Pod. Thanks again and catch you around in Clubland.